All right. Hey, we are continuing the story that we've been telling over the last few weeks, this story that takes place in the biblical book of Exodus. Now, if you haven't been here, that's okay. We're going to make sure you are up to speed before we read our passage today. The story begins with the ancient Jewish people, the Israelites, and they are enslaved in the country of Egypt. They're building pyramids for the Pharaoh. Life is not going well for them. God raises up this man named Moses. Moses is able to lead the people out of Egypt, and God has promised that he is going to take them into a promised land, a land, the Bible says, that is overflowing with milk and honey. Now, this is an ancient way of saying this was a pretty bougie place to live, okay? Like, this was nice. It was definitely a step up from what they had experienced. But along the way, the Israelites do something really, really stupid. We talked about this last week from Exodus 32, how they decided that instead of worshiping the God who had actually set them free, they were going to create a false God, a golden calf, and they were going to worship it. It was tied to like the old gods that they had worshiped in Egypt. And we discussed how like in times of stress in our lives, we will return to the gods that we are most familiar with. doesn't matter whether they work. It just matters that we're comfortable, familiar with them. And so we'll return to them. And that's exactly what the Israelites did. So Moses finds out what the people are up to. He gets totally ticked. He comes and lays the smack down on every single one of them. And the next day, Moses goes back up Mount Sinai to have another conversation with God. That's where we're going to pick up the story here this morning in Exodus chapter number 33. We'll start reading in verse number one. The Lord said to Moses, get going. You and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. All right. I can just imagine Moses as he hears God say these words. Moses, time for y'all to get moving. I think Moses like puckered up tight. You know what I'm saying? He was like, whoa, because it seems based on this first sentence from God that God is about to say, listen, the deal's off. I told you I was going to take you out of slavery. I was going to march you out of Egypt by the hand. I was going to deliver you into the promised land. But y'all done goofed, okay? It's too late. You have done one too many wrong things. That whole golden calf thing, that, and that broke the entire deal, the process. Because of the people's disobedience, you guys are not, I am not going to let you go to the promised land. It's almost like God is saying, look, you don't, I mean, like, you don't have to go back to Egypt here, okay? But you're definitely not going into the promised land anymore. When God starts off this conversation, I just have a sense that Moses is like, I knew it. The deal is off. Things are changing, okay? But that isn't what God says. If you continue reading, God says, now go up to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those were like the ancient forefathers, the patriarchs of the Jewish people. He says, get up, take your people, and I want you to still go to the land that I promised to give to them. I told them I will give this land to your descendants. So go up to this land that flows with milk and honey. Wait, so the deal's still on? Like the people didn't ruin it. They didn't destroy their chance because they chose to turn their backs on God's. I can imagine Moses now being like, whoo, okay, God really is merciful. Like, whoa, I thought we were in for some major punishment here, but it seems like the deal is still on. God is still going to allow us to possess this promised land after all. But there's a catch. See, we read in the next verse that God says, And I will send an angel before you 
to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. These were all the different groups of people that moved into the promised land after the Israelites had been taken captive. So God's like, hey, they're squatting on your land. I'm going to drive them out, okay? Don't worry about that. But I will not travel among you, says God, for you are a stubborn and rebellious people. Man, sometimes you just need God to call it like it is. You know what I'm saying? There are times in my life where God needs to just confront me and say, bro, what are you doing? God says, if I did, if I did travel among you, I would surely destroy you along the way. I could not take one more minute with y'all. I'm just, this is, I'm quoting God here, okay? Now, when the people heard these stern words, the Bible says they went into mourning. So this is the catch. This is the rub here. God is going to give the people everything he had promised them except his presence. So they had been in God's presence or at least near God's presence now for a long time. But because of their rebelliousness and their stubbornness, God says, hey, I'm going to give you all the stuff I promised because you can always count on God to keep his promises. He will. If he promises you something, if he promises his people something, he will fulfill the promise. However, God never said anything guaranteed about his presence. And so he tells the Israelites, you can have the land, but you're not going to have me. You're going to possess the promised land and everything that comes along with it, but you're going to do it alone. You're not going to hear from me anymore. You're not going to see me anymore. You are not going to be my special people from this point forward, all right? Now, I think this raises a really interesting question for me and for you today. This is like we live 3,000, maybe even almost as much as 4,000 years after this story happened, and yet it surfaces questions that you and I have to deal with even today. So maybe the question that is popping into your mind, or maybe the question that should be popping into our mind is, would I accept God's blessing without his presence? Would I accept God's blessing if I knew it meant that I would not have his presence? Now, I know the Sunday school answer is like, of course not, brother. No way. God's presence is all I need. I'll tell you that much. But the reality is, if God were to guarantee you everything you've ever wanted in life, I'm not so sure that the majority of us wouldn't make that trade. In fact, the Israelites, I don't even think the majority of them were opposed to this trade-off. God was telling them, I'm going to give you all the things that you've been waiting generations for. You understand this. I've told you before, they were in slavery for 400 years. This was generational. They had wanted freedom. They had wanted wealth. They had wanted prosperity. They'd wanted a country of their own. They wanted a legacy beyond being slaves. And God said, I'll give you every bit of that, but you're not going to have my presence with you. And I just get the sense, and I don't know, the scripture doesn't tell us this, but my guess is the Israelites would have accepted that trade. And the reason I think that's probably true is because remember, they didn't want his presence in the first place. Remember how we talked about that? God showed up on Sinai. It's like thunder and lightning and all of these magnificent manifestations of God's presence around his people. And they're like, "Woo, no, thank you. Moses, go up to the mountain, talk to God, come back and tell us what he says. So they didn't want God's presence anyway. They were following him because they were waiting on his blessings. They wanted to go into the promised land. And listen, I'm just... It, Again, if sometimes we need God to stomp on our toes a little bit, maybe you'll allow me to step on your toes as I've been stepping on mine all week preparing for this message. I don't think that we're really any different from the Israelites. 
I mean, if God said, I'll give you everything you ever dreamed of, all the stuff that you spend your time daydreaming and spend your money pursuing, all of your hopes and dreams, I'm going to give it all to you. Fame, money, children, that girl as your wife, this guy as your ex-husband, you know what I'm saying? What if God said, I will heal you finally? That thing that you've been battling for decades, I'll take it away. What if God said to you, I will take care of every problem in your life. The only catch is that from this point on, my presence will no longer be with you. Again, it's so easy to say, no, I would never agree to those terms. But if we're honest, I think most of us would actually say, okay. And if you doubt that, all you need to do is examine your prayer life. Because if you examine your prayer life, what are the things that you normally pray about? If you're like me, you're not praying, God, just give me more of you. You're like, God, give me some more money, man. God, give me some more friends. I feel so alone. God, give me. God, provide. God, please. God, I need. God, and we're asking, asking, asking for the blessing of God and not the presence of God. The Israelites had this opportunity to accept all of God's good gifts and to reject God himself. And the majority probably would have taken the deal. And oh, I'm so afraid that many of us Christians would as well. Now, listen, please understand what I'm about to say. This is not because we're all terrible people. Okay? The reason that most of us would accept God's blessing and reject his presence is because we view God as useful, not as beautiful. We view God as useful, not as beautiful. See, when something is useful, we value it for what it provides to us. When something is beautiful in and of itself, we value it intrinsically. Okay? So let me give you a very dumb example. I value a hammer because it is useful. It allows me to hammer in nails. I have never in my life said, this hammer is beautiful, y'all. I want to hang this on my wall and look at it every day. I just value it intrinsically. It is beautiful to me. Now, some of you guys work in the trades, and you're like, bro, I've seen some beautiful hammers now. They're expensive, okay? But I've seen some beautiful hammers. I don't get it, okay? There are things that we value because they are useful, and then there are things that we value because they are beautiful. And unfortunately, most of us view God as useful, not beautiful. We value God for the things he provides or the things we want him to provide, but we don't value him on his own. That's why we ask him to give us stuff instead of asking us to give us or asking him to give us his presence. See, if you think that God is useful, then you will only seek his blessing. But if you think God is beautiful, then you will spend your time and energy and resources seeking him and his presence. If we're honest, most of the time, we seek the blessing of God rather than the presence of God. Well, what's so unfortunate, and what I want you to get from this passage in Exodus, is that it is the presence of God that carries the power of God. You think, oh, if I had the blessing of God, then my life would be full of power. It would be full of everything I need. No, it wouldn't. Instead, if you had God's presence with you every single day, you were confident that God was there, that he knew you, that he loved you. In that circumstance, then you would experience the true power of God. Okay, so let's see how Moses responds. God's basically said, look, here's the deal. Uh, I'm gonna give you all the things I promised, but my presence is not gonna go with you. 
So look at how Moses responds. Verse number 12, one day Moses says to the Lord, you've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You said you're not going, so who is going with us? You've told me, Moses, I know you by name and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so that I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. Then Moses said, and please listen to what he prays. He says, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. If you won't go with us to the promised land, don't send us to the promised land. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people if you don't go with us? And oh my goodness, listen to this line. For your presence among us sets your people apart from all the other people on earth. It is the presence of God that sets us apart from all the other people on earth. What a statement, you guys. Moses says, if we had everything in life that we wanted, but we didn't have God, then we really have nothing at all. We would rather lose the blessing of God than lose the presence of God. Moses takes a very bold stand because the vast majority of his people would have been like, nah, Moses, I'm not sure I agree. But Moses knew something that they did not know. There are so many great principles here, and man, I've got like three minutes left, so it's kind of hard for me to really develop this passage the way that I want to. So let me just toss a couple of very, I think, deep principles to you, and maybe the Holy Spirit will start to show you just how much depth and richness there is to some of these things. For one, based on this passage, you guys, it is possible to be blessed and alone. It is possible in life to be fully blessed by God and yet still remain alone. See, we tend to think, if, I, if my life is blessed, if I have good things, good gifts, life is going smoothly for me, that is evidence that God is with me. That is proof that God is present and he's happy with me. That's why I'm enjoying his blessing, right? Well, according to this story, the Israelites could have had every single one of God's blessings and they could have been alone. Hey, there are some of you that are here this morning because your life is full of blessing and you're still alone. And you know it. You're like, wow, I thought once I achieved this level, once I got a spouse, once I got a family, I thought the whole, the void in my heart was going to go away. And while it's nice, it hasn't done what I thought it was gonna do. And that's because you've accepted the blessings of God and yet you do not have the presence of God in your life. It is fully possible to be both blessed by God and to be all alone. Now, the flip side of that is also true, you guys. Even if life is not going very smoothly for you, that is not proof that you have been abandoned by God. You see, the things were not going super well for the Israelites while they were in Egyptian captivity, and yet God was still with them. He was still present. So it's possible to be blessed and alone. Don't look at your life circumstances and say, things are going smoothly, so God must be happy. That's not always the case. Don't look at your life circumstances and say, wow, times are tough. I must have really ticked God off. That's not always the case either. It's possible to be blessed and alone. It is his presence that makes all the difference in your life. Okay, then uh, another thought here. 
Moses kind of gives us some theological math. Theology and math don't normally go together, but he gives us some theological math here. Basically, what Moses teaches us is that nothing plus God is greater than everything minus God. Nothing plus God is greater than everything minus God. And I mean this sincerely, okay? Moses knew that this was true from personal experience. He had grown up as the prince of Egypt, you guys. He had all the wealth, all the status, all the luxuries, all the privilege you could ever imagine. So he knew what it was like to have everything, but he didn't have the presence of God with him. Then he loses his position and he becomes a Bedouin shepherd. He's wandering the desert. He's poorer than any of us, you guys. He had nothing, but God's presence manifests in a burning bush. And suddenly he comes to understand having nothing plus God is so much better than having everything minus God. Now, look, I'm with you. I'm I, like, I understand. Well, wouldn't it be great if you could have everything plus God? Yes, it is. Okay. I would love that too. But that's not always the way it works. And it doesn't always work that way in every season of your life. So if you find yourself in a season in which you cannot have both, your job and my challenge to you is to pursue God instead of pursuing just his blessings. All right. Verse number 17, I gotta wrap this up. Verse 17, the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked. Did you catch this? Moses prayed, God, don't send us to the promised land if you're not gonna go with us. And God says, okay, I won't. Instead, I will go with you and deliver you into the promised land. Why? For I look favorably on you, Moses, and I know you by name. I don't have time to develop this thought. Okay, let me give you a couple, let me give you an idea of where we're going over the next couple of weeks because I want you to come back. I think this is gonna be important. Next Sunday is child dedication. We got eight families that are dedicating their kids. Holy cow, it's gonna be amazing. Now you're like, I don't have kids. I don't like kids. I'm not coming to church next week. Hey, listen, yes, it's gonna be a special service and it's gonna be a message that is, you know, it kind of is based on the fact that we're dedicating children. But the theme of next week's message is how do I continue to move forward when I do not feel adequate to the task in front of me? That is the best description of a parent I could come up with, okay? How do I keep moving forward every day when I do not feel adequate to the task in front of me? But listen, many of you are facing that every single day. Whether you're a parent or you're dealing with work or relationships or your relationship with God, whatever it might be. So it's gonna be an important week for you to be here. Okay, then the week after, we're actually gonna do one more week in which you get to hear that drop in the bumper. We're gonna talk about presence one final time. And we're gonna finish out Exodus 33. And then we're gonna jump into the New Testament. I'm gonna show you how Jesus is the greater Moses, how Jesus does for us what Moses did for the Israelites, but he does so much more and he does it freely. So in the same way that God says to Moses in this passage, again, I'm just wetting your appetite. I want you to start thinking about this. In the same way that God says to Moses here in the verse we just read, Moses, I'm not blessing these people because they deserve it. They do not. I'm blessing them because I love you because you have been faithful. In the same way today, God doesn't say, Dan, I'm blessing you because you are awesome. I'm blessing you because you have done everything right. You are perfect. I am not. Instead, God says, I'm blessing Dan and I'm blessing Amber and I'm blessing every single one of my children because of Jesus, who is the greater mediator, who mediator rather, who goes between us and God. Oh, it's gonna be so good. So that's where we're headed over the next couple weeks. Okay, I'm gonna finish with three quick questions. I just want you to answer these in your own mind. First question is this. Do I view God as beautiful or useful? Do I view God as beautiful or useful? You may this morning recognize, oh, I've been viewing God as useful. I've been trying to get from him rather than get him. 
And if that's the case, you are always going to have a frustrated relationship from your heavenly father because he's not a genie. He's not a vending machine. You punch in the right numbers, you put in some cash and cha-ching. It's not how it works. Second question, have I confused God's blessing with his presence? Have I confused God's blessing with his presence? Have I looked at my life circumstances and thought, good, okay, God's happy, bad, God must be unhappy, because that's not how the scripture teaches us it works. And then deep down in my soul, do I already know and believe that I have a mediator who is going to God on my behalf? I am blessed because of my savior, not because I'm perfect. I live and swim in God's grace. It's not because I'm good. It's because my mediator, the one who goes between is good. Those are my questions for you. And I wanna pray that you would continue to wrestle with them this morning. Father, thank you for this passage. And there's so much depth. And boy, we could spend weeks just on these verses and it wouldn't even begin to do justice to what's really there. So I just pray, Lord God, that we would desire you instead of the things you offer us. Help us to love you as beautiful, capital B, the one who is truly lovely and to desire you in our life for no other reason than because of your goodness and your beauty. And Lord, I pray that we would never confuse your blessing with your presence. Help us to understand that your presence is where the power is. So help us to seek your presence before we ever seek your blessing. And God, I just pray that for every single person that's here, they would know Jesus as their savior, their mediator, the one who goes to you on their behalf. When we screw up, when we get it wrong, when we worship false gods like the Israelites, oh God, thank you that we have a faithful high priest who is interceding on our behalf every single day. God, this is a short message, but it's not too short for your Holy Spirit to do its work. And so we ask that it would and that people's lives would be transformed by your truth and by your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.